Hello, and welcome to the Lancet Infectious Diseases podcast for the November issue of the journal. In a moment, I'll be speaking to Peter Hayward, Deputy Editor of TLID, about three key papers in this month's journal. But first, some other content highlights. This month's Leading Edge discusses the slow progress towards universal access to HIV treatment. A recent report shows it is achievable, however not in the time frame laid out in the 2006 initiative. And in addition to the articles that we will discuss in a little more detail, there's a meta-analysis of HIV serodiscordance in couples in sub-Saharan Africa, a review of cryptococcal immune reconstitution syndrome, and a personal view article setting out a case definition for tuberculosis meningitis for use in clinical research. But for now, the main feature. Earlier, I was joined by Peter Hayward, deputy editor of TLID. I started by asking Peter to highlight an interesting backstory to the paper published this month on hepatitis B. Ten years ago, two vaccines, Hexavac and Infanrix Hexa, were licensed to protect children against six diseases, diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, poliomyelitis, hepatitis B and haemophilus influenza B. But use of one of these vaccines, Hexavac, was suspended in 2005 because of concerns about the immunogenicity of the hepatitis B component. Children receiving this vaccine were developing antibody titers, considered to be unprotective. And what does this study aim to show? Alessandro Zanetti and colleagues have done a multi-centre study in Italy to investigate the long-term effects of vaccination with the two vaccines in children who had been vaccinated five years earlier. They first measured the antibody concentrations in children and then assigned children to receive one of two booster vaccines for hepatitis B alone. And how did long-lasting effects of the two vaccines differ? Well, as expected from the previous experience and reflecting the cause of Hexavax suspension, the children who had received that vaccine had significantly lower antibody titers before they received a booster than did the children who had received Infanrix Hexa. However, after receiving the booster, the antibody titers in both groups were at levels considered sufficient for protection from hepatitis B. And what this shows is that while children who were given Hexavac might not be able to resist infection with hepatitis B, because they don't have sufficient circulating antibodies, they would be able to neutralise the virus before illness develops due to the lasting cellular immunity awakened by rechallenge with the virus, in this instance mimicked by the booster vaccine. And these findings show that booster vaccination is not needed in children, given either Infanrix or Hexavac, because they retain this cellular immunity. However, as pointed out in the linked commentary by Jürgen Wenzel and Wolfgang Gild, we don't know how long this immune memory lasts, and it is possible that booster vaccines might be needed at greater times after vaccination, so more long-term studies are warranted. Your second article this month addresses a problem of enormous importance, the treatment of malaria in pregnancy. Can you tell us a little bit more about the study? Yes, so in malaria endemic areas, there are 50 million pregnancies every year. And due to the high rates of malaria infection, many women contract the parasitic disease during pregnancy. In some places, 20 to 40% of maternal mortality is caused by malaria. And it's estimated that 75,000 to 200,000 infant deaths are caused by malaria each year. So clearly this is an enormous problem, and appropriate treatment is essential to address this. But there are treatments available for malaria in pregnancy, right? Yes. So there's the old ever-faithful quinine, um, which is vital because it has been used for so long and its effects are so well known. But the ever-present potential for resistance and problems with tolerability, adherence and side effects mean that WHO now recommends arsimethylumifantrine for use in the second and third trimesters in line with recommendations for non-pregnant adults. But the problem is that few studies have investigated this treatment in pregnant women and those that have been done have been done in South Asia. 
So Patrice Piola and colleagues have done an open-label non-inferiority trial in pregnant women in Uganda that compared quinine with artemethylumifantrine. And did the findings support the recommendations for treatment? Encouragingly, they did. The cure rates were similarly high in the two groups, in fact slightly higher in the artemethylumifantrine group than in the quinine group, and the number of adverse events was lower in this group too. So this is the first trial from Africa to support the WHO recommendations. Although, as pointed out by the authors of the linked comment, there are concerns about the dosing, since the pregnant women in this study had drug concentrations that were lower than expected a week after dosing. But this is a very encouraging study of a treatment that will likely help prevent a great deal of morbidity and mortality among some of the most vulnerable women and infants. Thanks, Peter. And finally, the Lancet Infectious Diseases has done something a bit special with their sister journal, the Lancet Neurology, this month. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Indeed. After several years in gestation, we've published a review article on virology, epidemiology, pathogenesis and control of enterovirus 71 by Tom Solomon and colleagues. And this complements a review by the same authors on the clinical features, diagnosis and management that appeared in the Lancet Neurology this month. Enterovirus 71 isn't particularly well known in some parts of the world, but seems to be an increasing problem for many people. What is this virus? Well, this is a virus that was first identified in people in the 1960s in California, but it's since been most commonly found in the Asia-Pacific region, where it causes cyclical, large-scale outbreaks of hand, foot and mouth disease, the most severe form of which is a neurological disorder that can develop in a matter of hours and be quickly fatal. As a close relative of the polio virus, there is concern that as polio is on the verge of global eradication, Enterovirus 71 might rise to take its place. So how do the two reviews complement each other? Well, for such an important emerging topic that neither journal has really covered in great detail before, we wanted to be able to give a definitive review of the topic. And by splitting the subject between the two journals, we've been able to do this. And while we had to draw some contentious lines and there was some give and take between the two journals as far as what was covered in each review, we believe that we've now got two very strong articles with the Lancet Infectious Diseases covering the more basic aspects and the potential for vaccines and the TLN article covering the clinical aspects. And while they both work as standalone articles, I'm sure that readers of both journals will want to look at the two pieces side by side and to view them as a whole. Thanks, Peter.